0: Welcome to the Crushing Comics Podcast. This episode was originally recorded on the 21st of October and debuted on YouTube. In this episode, we cover the fifth week of the X of Swords crossover, which included the issues Excalibur No. 13 and X-Men No. 13. Spoiler warning, we discuss everything about X-Men up to and including the comics from the 21st of October, as well as other current events in the Marvel Universe. Welcome everyone to Crushing Comics, I'm your host Peter, also known throughout the internet as Crisis with a K. And I'm here today with two of my favorite mutants from around the world, Tyler and Freya, to talk a little bit more about this week in X, specifically this week's of X of Swords. We have chapters 9 and 10 in Excalibur and X-Men issues 13. But before we dig in, let's introduce my friends. So, Tyler, do you ever have some uh, squabbles with your sibling or siblings the way that we saw in Excalibur this week?
1: Yeah, but, you know, I mean, I we don't really fight with, like, swords or something like that. <laughs> uh, and, and, and you know, my, my parents favor me a little bit more.
2: So. <laughs> so you're the one who's always picking the amulet then?
1: I'm the one who is, well... Maybe, I'm, I'm the one who's always let through the gate and not left behind. Oh.
0: Oh. Speaking of being left behind, Freya, do you believe in life after love? Are you strong enough? Because Apocalypse, we found out in this issue, might not be.
2: Oh, I, I believe in love so much that, you know, I heard that sure song like 782 times. <laughs> like, so I believe it that much. <laughs> do you
0: believe in love after love? Don't even get a. Please. I mean, this could really easily turn into X Men karaoke, like without any effort whatsoever.
2: So, so I always, you know what? So, I always thought Cher was a mutant. Like, you know, she has a very much of a mutant, like, you know, all the style going for her.
0: I think she's an eternal. I think she's probably been alive since the the 800s. (laughs) that's
2: true. And this is just
0: the current incarnation of Cher, and she's clearly not aging. So she's just like making pretend like she ages by just changing her wigs a lot to confuse us. That's my theory. <laughs> so so if those two introductions were not enough of a hint, we are, this is a full spoiler zone. Okay. We've read all the X-Men issues up to this week. We've read all the X-Men issues that have happened before. And in some cases we've read a lot of other Marvel comic books, although we're a little kinder about issuing spoiler warnings for those. But if you're watching, you're going to hear everything there is to hear about X-Men. And uh, so we've got two issues this week, which are by the two architects of X mm-hmm. of Swords, right? We have Excalibur by Teeny Howard, which which really feels, I think, far apart from a lot of the other story, but very close to a lot of the previous Excalibur story.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: then we also have X-Men, which gives us some more background into this lost world of Morocco. So before we go in much deeper, you know, we always like to get a first reaction so people can decide to hate us really early in the, in the video. <laughs>
1: um,
0: t- Tyler, what's your kind of initial off-the-cuff on these books this week.
1: I mean, it, it is definitely a step down from last week. And I feel like the these two issues is, are a little bit drier than, you know, I mean, it, it moves certain things along, but um, not in the way that excites me last week. Hmm. What about you, Fria?
2: So... <laughs> those of you who knows about how like you know cut-off date works for comic today is actually the last day for the cut-off date of X of swords hardcover um i was really tempted to cancel my order after reading today's issues Wow. I mean, you know, I was, it's so it's kind of, I don't know whether that tells you (laughs) where I am. Uh, But then I remembered all the plumage versus tassel from last week. So then I'm like, yeah, I I probably get to keep it for the time being. (laughs) At least we have that discussion in that hardcover. So I mean, I don't know whether that's a, you know, indicator of how I'm feeling this week. (laughs)
0: You know I I definitely liked Excalibur a lot more than X-Men and we'll get into the why of it but I do feel like Excalibur despite having some really delightful RB Silva art it really just struggled with some of the action and the scene transitions in a way that kind of took away from really how how truly fun it was for me as a longtime X-Men reader to see all three Braddock siblings in on a plot together. And we'll, we'll get into that. Whereas X-Men, look, you know that I tune out during these, like, very Dungeon Master Guide, like, type of issues of X-Men. And I think that tells you all you need to know. But I still have things to say about it. So it sounds like, you know, last week we were just high on the comedy. And this week we get the barest hint of that at the start of Excalibur because um, King Jamie Braddock... Jamie. Has the sinister cape on top of his existing cape, which is yeah, such know. a good gag. It's so
1: funny. <laughs>
2: I love I mean, that though,
1: and I love that they did not uh, even mention it. It's just there. It's just yeah, a if visual you hadn't gag. Read that's last there. week, you would have no idea, yeah. like what what is going on. You would, yeah, know. yeah. It is. I, I mean, I I like that. I mean, uh, art wise, I think that these two issues are uh, just a little bit of a step down from last week. But you know, oh, it he's is still saying that strong. about
0: R. B. Silva,
1: folks. I know. And I'm a huge fan of his art.
0: Well, uh- You know, something I would say about Silva's art is we know that from House of X and and Powers of X, Silva sells that kind of like sumptuous, almost like Renaissance-y beauty. He also has like an art deco quality to some of the framing. And we Mm -hmm. saw that we were obsessed with the way he drew Magneto. And I think that is kind of right for looking at the art of what the center of Otherworld should, you know, even looking at one of these first big splash pages of them in the hall with all the statues of the Captain Britons he's great at that. Anything that's going to have like a stained glass window in the background, Silva Silva's going to kill it. And yep. so I think he was probably the right choice. I just think that there were some moments of discontinuity in the art. I don't know, Freya, do you love him as much as you've loved him previously here? I,
2: I mean, the art was fine, but I think it's because the story was also too dry and that it was kind of jumping all over the place. And I think, uh, like you know, Tyler will probably have a little bit more to say about that, like some of the abrupt changes to things that were happening. And... I think that took away from the art as well. And I know we talked about it before, but Saturday looks so much like Emma Frost. I had to constantly remind myself that it's not her. And I think that also annoyed me a little bit because I kept on having to remind myself Mm. that who this is. And she also acts like Emma Frost in a lot of the ways. So, (laughs) so it just like, you know, so I think that was like a bit of a struggle and to me, I always kind of look at the, like, I can overlook art if the story is good. and But the thing is, like, if the story is bad, even good art cannot bring me back, if that makes sense. So from yeah. that point of view, I was, like, kind of struggling a lot with the Excalibur issue.
0: Well, let's get to the, really, the heart of the story in this Excalibur issue. And then maybe that'll help us find some more intrigue as we dig mm-hmm. through it. So this has a lot to do with the origin of of how Captain Britain works, both here yeah. and elsewhere. And actually, I think the issue itself did a really good job of recapping it, even as somebody who <clears throat> knows this story pretty well. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, right, that's how it works. When yeah. Merlin or Roma in the past appeared to Captain Britain in any of the many versions of the multiverse, they offer them a, you know an amulet or a sword. Um, And the idea is that, of course, you would think to take the sword, you know, Excalibur, Lady in the Lake, all of that. But to take the sword is kind of an act of aggression and and anger and maybe some hubris of your own. And so if you take the sword, you can't really be Captain Britain. And so people are supposed to take the amulet. But here we are in X of Swords. So swords are important. So you're getting this kind of sibling rivalry between Betsy and Brian where neither one of them want the sword. And Betsy already has her own psychic sword, but Brian won't take back the amulet, and, and so they can't usually they actually get along okay. But it's mm-hmm. like this kind of very classic sibling kind of tit for tat um fight between them about who should be the one who has to take the sword, which in turn would invalidate
1: them as Captain Britain. Yeah. Do you th- And I mean is 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 it's not mentioned often, and I think a lot of people forget about it. These two are Twins. That's right. Brian, I feel, often comes
0: off as being older... But mm-hmm. they are twins, despite um, Betsy's natural purple hair. And right, it's not, just doesn't dye it, it's actually purple, right? Anybody? Uh, I, think
1: I think he's, he's always bubble, yeah. Yeah, since always she purple. first appeared.
0: And I enjoyed some of the nods to their childhood, like he's like always the tomboy. People think of her as this very, mm-hmm. you know, this fashion model character, which is part of her story as well, but like she's been rough and tumble. And I think that the kind of ninjification of Psylocke has often wiped away some of our memories of, of who Betsy was personality-wise mm-hmm. before then. Ria,
1: so, do you have something to say?
2: No, no, no. I was just gonna say though. It's like so. I think that's one of the first thing I kind of got stuck with, and I like coming complete. I only read uh, Alt- uh, Uncanny X Force where I had the most uh, experience about the you know, Excalibur or Captain Britain or all Which that. A I a very read the, brief
0: arc, yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Right, and I also read the Captain Britain and MI-13. So it's just kind of my experience with all of that. So I kind of got a little, like, you know, rolled my eyes a little bit at the whole, like, oh, you have to pick, you have the choice to pick between the sword and the amulet, but if you mm-hmm. pick the sword, you were disqualified. Well, then it's not a effing choice then, is it?
0: Well, like, it's a qualifier. I mean, it's a qualification yeah, round, a really, quali- more than it's a yeah, choice.
2: But, but the thing is, like, I feel like when you add that kind of thing, it just kind of takes away from the like whole like, oh, you have to be pure of heart and stuff. And for some reason, I kind of don't like that, like, you know, in terms of like, you know, that chosen one who has to be pure of heart. Why can someone be complex person also be the chosen one who is like, okay with violence, but also like, you know, knows how to do, because I feel like that is more complex, com- complicated and complex character to build. So I was kind of a little bit put up by that, that, oh, okay. Like, you know, you always have to pick the amulet and now here we are, we can not pick the sword, but this is called X of Swords. Okay.
0: I do get a little bit sometimes, not just in Excalibur and in this context, bothered by the idea of a story with a dichotomy that always has a right choice, much like you, Mm -hmm. because I think it ignores the fact that culture and time changes, right? To say that nobody should ever take the sword kind of almost feels like an argument of, like, you should never steal bread because stealing bread is always wrong, even if it's going to feed a starving family, right? Like, there are probably times in Britain's history when they needed the sword more. And I get that the whole idea of the Captain Britain Corps is, like, it's this very kind of, like, you know, big Boy Scout Superman sort of thing where, like, you shouldn't have to have the sword. But I think it also kind of, in a way, can be a little bit disconnected from reality. Like, why would you not take the sword if you need the sword? Um, so I, I get I get why that it, it's like that from a story perspective. But I kind of agree with you that it's more complex to me and more interesting if it's actually like this is the sword phase. It's this is the time we want the Captain Britain to take the sword. That to me is like a little
1: bit more complex and a little bit more interesting as a plot point. But right, the other two, I, I mean, in the sort um, info page, right? The other two uh, names that were mentioned, they, they, they do have quite interesting stories. Right. Like. Kelsey Leigh is actually Lionheart. Yeah. And she appears in Avengers by, you know, uh, Chuck Austin, but I've not read (laughs) the thing. I just Google. I have a Captain Britain guide if you
0: want to find all those issues, but notice that none of us are recommending them. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And then the other, the other person is Albion, which is um, an alternate of Brian Braddock. And he is, he also chose the sword. And, his world did not turn out well for 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 him choosing the sword. Right. So so I think um it doesn't mean that if you choose the sword there will not be good stories. It's just I just think that like you know you will not be part of the core in the past which well, I think has changed in this story.
0: And there's something else interesting, too, which is that Courtney mm-hmm. Ross, or Saturnine, I think of her as Courtney Ross, of course. Yeah. Um, she <laughs> She's her one thing that's the same across all realities is she's obsessed with Brian right. Braddock. And yeah. uh, there's this moment that, while it's funny, I think kind of like gave this issue its point where he kind of has to take the sword in the middle of the one fight. And she says this is heresy, Put that ridiculous old sword of my down and take these fraudulent captains to the prison cells for me. Her obsession with Brian is such that she needs him to be a certain way. It's kind of like when you have a crush on somebody when you're a kid and like you, you're only interested in your version of them that you have a crush on. And then you like find out something else about them and you discard that. Or like when you like, like a celebrity and then you find out that Mm -hmm. they like, you know, are, you know, (laughs) hate you and all of your friends because of your identities, but you still want to be a fan of that celebrity. Um, like you don't want to let it into your version of the picture of that person and so she's like this version of brian who would take the sword i don't, that doesn't fit with my fantasy you're gonna have to put the sword down so you can participate in my saturnine brian braddock yeah. fantasy
2: that i was i can i can relate to that uh, celebrity thing because you know dean Kane, ex dean Kane fan here uh-huh. <laughs> oh god i can't even but anyway. But it's Sorry, funny because well, she's
0: she's portrayed as this all-powerful character who can yeah. like do anything. But even she has trouble kind of reconciling the reality of the choice. Of course, we find later that it's kind of all yeah. one big double cross.
1: But in I the know. moment,
0: she can't even reconcile that Brian might take the sword because that spoils the version of Brian that mm-hmm. she's obsessed with.
1: Yeah. Freya, I have, I have, a, I have a suggestion for you. Mm-hmm. You should shift your obsession to Tom Welling's.
2: Oh, He's I'll a better, look into yeah. that. He matured
1: really, really well.
2: Okay, I'll, like I'll look really into that. really
1: well. I mean,
2: yeah. int- <laughs> t- you were asking me to get my nine-year-old Lewis and Clark obsessive fan Thing. to, th- oh, yeah, you know. That's I know. when I realized that Twitter was a mistake. Sorry, there's yeah. nothing to but do with Twitter. Nothing to do with is-
1: <laughs> Well... <laughs> Uh, Yeah, we can talk about that later.
2: (laughs) Okay, we'll talk about that later. But there's... Go ahead. Sorry. I was just
0: going to say, I do think the cost of idyllic love is actually a pretty specific theme across both of these issues, which I think mm-hmm. is welcome for a Jonathan Hickman participating event because he doesn't usually have a lot to say about love. But this concept of like your image of somebody that you're in love with doesn't mean they have to be that is is pervasive, both in Excalibur and as we'll see shortly in X-Men when it comes to yeah. Apocalypse.
1: So I have another question for you, Peter. Okay. um, Because I think you read a lot of Escalibur a lot more than me and Captain Britain. Um, Is the sword? (laughs) Why the sword presumed? (laughs) I know, but why is the sword presumed to be from Galador?
0: I, okay, this was my first question, so we've not been talking as much about the data pages because they've mostly been about slices of Otherworld or swords and we're like, whatevs. But mm-hmm. in the data page for the Sword of Might, it says it's from Galador, for those of you who have been paying attention to cable or the rest of the past 40 years of Marvel Comics, Galador is the home world of Rom, which is a licensed property, but which usually means Marvel can't do anything else with it. But Marvel created so much continuity around Rom, the Space Knight, that was unique to Marvel, that when And they lost the license to Rom, and they can't reprint significant appearances by him in comic books either. Which is why epic collections like uh, Iron Man and Power Fist, or I mean Iron Fist and Power Man, are missing the issue with Rom because they Mm -hmm. they physically can't reprint it. But they retain the rights to all the continuity that they made around him, and so they've kind of turned this idea of Galador, their home planet, and the Space Knights into this pervading Marvel thing. Hickman has referenced it before in Mm -hmm. um, in his Avengers run, but I think this is new information that the Sword of Might is from Galador, the same place that Cable's new sword is from. I I was, like, taken aback by that.
1: Yeah, I know. I mean, I was kind of surprised, too, and I tried to find some information about it, but, um, nope, nothing.
2: So it's a retcon, then?
1: Well, kind of, I guess. Unless... Or maybe you know the origins of sort of Ma- uh, the 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 sort has never been um, specified before, so it's not really a recon, but just like filling in um, a bit of history for fun. I don't know. I'm,
0: I mean, I'm I... pouring through my uh, Captain Britain guide to see if there's any issues of Rom that he ever <laughs> appeared in, but he was. You know, people forget this, but he was. Actually, okay, so he does appear in Rom Space Night number 65. Brian is the head of a wordless charge full of international heroes from Contest of Champions rushing to assist Rom. But that is his only crossover into Rom Space Night. And I know this because I have the most definitive guides to Marvel characters on the internet. But if you wanted to catch up <laughs> on too. all of Captain Britain, I do. There's three hardcovers, right? These two Captain Britain hardcovers. I should have brought them up for this. And this one Captain Britain omnibus, which is one of the rarest Marvel omnibuses to find. Mm-hmm. And they pretty much collect everything that he had ever been in before reaching Excalibur. And what people forget is there was really not a lot of crosstalk between Captain Britain as a Marvel UK character and the American comic books. Only really when Claremont bothered to create crosstalk was their crosstalk. So like he appears in Marvel Team Up, he appears in an issue of Captain America, that's not Claremont. And he appears in, you know, an X-Men annual that introduces Psylocke, and that's pretty much it. So there's no, there were American characters in the UK that appeared in his stuff, like on um, Black Knight. But, mm-hmm. but there's no concept of like Captain Britain on panel at the time, interacting with American heroes that would kind of suggest these points of Rutcon. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I went. I went off. This is I like. <laughs> I love Captain Print, and I can't help myself.
2: No, I mean, it is. I just wanted to say that this is not our fault. This issue doesn't have like much. To talk. So that's why we're just kind of talking. I mean, I just wanted to make sure that our viewers know that we are not like this. <laughs> we're much more. There's much more going on. So. In well, the other... interest... No, no, go, go ahead.
0: ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say that, Um, you know, something else that's interesting here is that it... Well, let's take a moment to talk about these other Captain Britons which pop up, which are members of Excalibur, who we haven't seen, you know, for a couple of issues Mm -hmm. in this nature, Rogue, Gambit, Jubilee, and Richter. Now, we know that in some cases, other things have happened to those characters. Richter was part of Apocalypse's creation of the gate on Krakoa and Excalibur 12. So let's not forget that pretty recently, Jamie Braddock fractured the number of realities and created this one fracture where everybody else in Excalibur were Captain. In Britain's, and that's who we're seeing here. So when Jubilee gets killed here, it's a version of Jubilee, but it's not like Jubilee just died, kind of semi-off panel. It's just that version, and so that version of the rest of the team is now showing up to potentially rescue Betsy from her imprisonment in the in
1: the Tower of Otherworld. Yeah, I mean, Peter, you mentioned last week regarding like Jamie being pretty scary. And we we see something, I mean, he appears briefly here, that particular Jamie, that particular scary Jamie, because he's like, you know, yeah, I'm going to even the odds, I'm just going to kill one. And he just snaps his fingers and Jubilee dies. And
0: that's very much the Jamie that we knew, you know, I think of the cover, it was probably in the Fifties of Excalibur, where he's on the cover and he's got his fingers in all the threads of reality and all of the Excalibur characters are becoming distorted around him. That's the Jamie that I know. But I do think it's interesting that at the end, it kind of turns out that they were semi-all in on it, pretty much. Um, And so that's really interesting. And, you know, Psylocke teases Brian to be like, you're a married man and you went along with this plot, like, you know, some old lingering feelings there. And he's like, I did what I had to do. Which actually mm-hmm. I thought was a nice moment, not because of the potential adultery, but because he's actually supporting <laughs> Betsy and supporting Krakoa in a way that I was skeptical that he would. Like, he doesn't, you know, he he's an, a- he's an ally. Like, sometimes he cares about the cause when it suits him, and sometimes mm-hmm. it doesn't. But here it turns out that he actually really is on their, on their side. And he's ultimately, is he the only non-mutant who's putting himself on the line on behalf of Team Krakoa?
2: So he's yeah. not a mutant then
0: no no he's
2: not okay because i was that was driving me insane when i saw him that he's on the he's on one of the one of the round thingy um <laughs>
0: well he needed it to his that. point he needed an <laughs> escort through the yeah gate. yeah because yeah, he's not and a mutant. Th-
2: yeah and then he was and then he stood there like because that's when i was like whoa since when he's a mutant but yeah so the thing is though when i actually first like when the first issue first started because it kind of started talking about Uh, like Queen and then the fact that they have different alliances, because Captain Britain obviously is uh, like, you know, serves England or Britain or however, United Kingdom, however you want to call it. And then there's also the Krakoa version of it because Betsy happens to be mutant. So who do you support in terms of that? Because we were talking about so much about themes of nation building in throughout this docs, I was under the impression that this uh, this issue is going to be more about loyalty for immigrants let's mm. just say you know because we have seen it time and time again like you know where do like if you are something american where does your loyalty lies and you know that's so i was under the impression that something like that will be talked about more in details over here i was upset that it wasn't like you know instead we talked about where dumb swords come from <laughs> i am upset And then, you know, that really bothered me, you guys. That bothered me. And then they talk about it at the very end for like, you know, your queens, yours and mine, like, you know, yours and mine. And then it's a, that was very powerful. I thought that was my
0: favorite part probably of the whole issue was that last page.
2: Yeah, it was very powerful if there was like something more discussion along that line ahead of that. But no. And I'm gonna have to tell, be on record, guys, I don't like this Jamie character don't like him. And typically I like, like, you know, insane characters. This one is not really.
0: For, we (laughs) might have to do a bonus episode where we get Freya to read like two specific Jamie arcs from original Excalibur, just so we can get her, her reaction to like original flavor Jamie. So I want to talk about one specific kind of, um, look and feel thing about this issue and then I'll let Tyler close it out so there's a lot of caption boxes in this issue caption boxes being the square captions where it's not somebody's thought it's just a narrator unseen Mm -hmm. unmentioned narrating and I actually like caption boxes but I think there's a problem here where the letterer probably should have styled them differently they're all in just plain white which is the same as all the normal thought balloons and word balloons and it and sometimes they also quote somebody too like at one point um you know it says as captain Britain's brothers, you must be used to this sort of outburst from her, and it's clearly Saturnine. But I don't think that it's clear that all of it that's not in quote marks is Saturnine, and because they're all styled the same, I start having a problem kind of keeping clear what role the narrator voice was supposed to be serving in the story, I think it actually made it very confusing and unclear. And I think Mm -hmm. the whole issue might have hit better if the caption boxes that were just unnamed faceless narrator had just been blue or had a different outline color. Um, I I just think that they kind of failed us on this on a really fundamental comic craft level of helping to pace the story by breaking up the visual monotony of the lettering.
1: Well, it's not just that. I mean, talking about pacing, right? Um, you mentioned briefly about scene transitions. Scene transitions in *Excalibur* is really abrupt.
0: I, I mean, agree. The
1: the fight with um with uh between Brian and Betsy in the garden, it just ended there with like it didn't no make resolution. Any sense. Yeah. yeah. And then there is this weird time shift. Like you know, Jamie was screaming, and then you 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 shift back a few moments where Betsy was just fighting in the in the garden. I mean, not not fighting, practicing in the garden, and then and then he, she heard him scream. So it was like, oh, he screamed. Then you jump back a few moments before he screamed, and then you show them he scream again.
2: But the second scream wasn't his, though. The second scream you, was like one of the people that he was dangling, like a puppeteer. So okay, that's that's that how I sense. took it. That's how I took it. That the first scream was actually his. Like you know, either mm-hmm. he got surprised, but the second one yeah. wasn't his.
1: But the second one it says guards. Like you say, ah guards. So he's someone is oh, calling is that for what guards. He's
2: yeah. And, oh I, so I, I read is... it as a like, gah <laughs> 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 I did not end because I did not read the last letters. <laughs>
0: But look, oh here, here's my point, which I think encapsulates all this. I don't mind thinking hard when I'm reading a comic book. I like comics that challenge me. But I think that if you're causing the the reader, the viewer, to be thinking about like, I don't understand how that body hit the ground or I don't understand who's saying this yell, yep. that's not plot complexity. That's, that's a failure to execute on the principles of what makes a comic good. And I, I'm not saying anything negative overall about this creative team who are some of my favorite creators at, mm-hmm. at Marvel individually, but I'm just not feeling them Clicking. And the one other thing I'd throw into this is when they're all communicating psychically, Gambit gets pink. But then somebody else, I think Jamie, gets a blue that's so dark that yeah. it reads as black on the digital copy. Maybe in oh. physical copy, the, the CMYK blend of the, of the blue would have popped it a little bit more. But it looked mm-hmm. at like there was somebody talking to themselves. And again, these are choices that the letterer has control of. You can just change the mix of the black and the blue to make it a lighter blue so they read as differently. So I actually think yeah. I probably would have been a whole like point higher on this issue if the lettering had its act together.
1: That's that's my take. No, I agree with that because it took me the second round to realize that oh, uh, Jamie is coming in. You know, he's like he's like tapping into that open line (laughs) right now, and and I was like, okay, why is it not different? And then I had to look closely to see that oh, it's blue. It's like it's a really navy blue, and it's really black. Like I mean, it's almost as good as black. And And here's um, here's my
2: neck. Here's my narrator box in this. It says that it was not done right. <laughs> <laughs> or it was confusing for the for the gang. All right, but so Tyler, have...
1: Tyler, wrap us up on Excalibur. What's your parting thoughts here? So my thoughts at the end was that now that and I realized that she got played at her own game, will yeah. she be fair?
0: Uh, do you, you know how impartial is she as an arbiter, right? Like at one on one side she's like the neutral olympics judge yeah but then on the other side she she's the one who's dictating all the rules like who knows if she's going to judge it fairly especially because she has known allegiances with some of these characters and against some of these characters so is she going to be able to take it if brian gets killed like is saturnine going to allow that or if if betsy's going to win is is saturnine going to allow that
2: and the, to that point, I'm glad that you brought it up because I also wanted to, like, it was also driving me insane that throughout the time. It's like, wait, she's the referee. Why she has, like, you know, two of the fighters on her, around her, or even talking to them. Like, it was really bothering me from that aspect of as well. But the thing is, the last panel, like, caption box or the panel is, like, she, I think it's about, like, she lost more than she bargained. Bits is dying right We can all agree on that like she's Deadsville either she's Deadsville or Brian's Deadsville like one of them is because it seems like very much of a narrator thing like I actually read that as like um, the what's that move that um, that show called
0: Arrested I development. Think-
2: no yeah you can say that it's like I, I was reading it in that narrator voice just for yeah, that like one. it was no, not
0: you know it was yeah. not <laughs>
2: like, you know i read it yeah. at that point i was like ugh. but yeah that the whole i think like i was actually like so angry that the last page we got to see that whole like you know the loyalty or like t- discussion about that but then throughout we didn't get any of that
0: well, I want to just uh, give a parting shot that maybe brings us also into the next issue about the reliability of a narrator, right? So that's clearly foreshadowing. She would lose more than she bargained for, or whatever it, mm-hmm. it says exactly. But yeah, that's what she said. Yeah. Can, the the can, caption said. That's actually what it says. So, but can we trust that, right? Whether it's Saturnine or somebody else, you know, and also the unreliability of... Um, X-Men editorial as a hint giver. The first Excalibur issue that's solicited after X of Swords, and I don't I'm not one to pay much attention to the solicits, but people love to point out Betsy's not on the cover. She must die. Look, what we learned about how Otherworld and Resurrections works is the body's going to come back just fine. Rockslide's body looked different because his body is a composition of psionically assembled rocks, and so a different personality on Rockslide produces a different body. Even if Betsy gets beheaded in this thing, she's going to Come back as Betsy. It's just a matter of what's going to be inside that might be different. So I think that any time that you're trusting like future covers or anything to kind of be to be like, oh, it spoiled it. Especially in this case, I think teeny Howard and Jonathan Hickman were and Leah Williams, because she wrote X Factor Four, were mm-hmm. very careful to point out that just because we see somebody who's alive after this crossover, it does not tell us anything about mm-hmm. what's going to transpire in the tournament.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think, like, Tini really wants to write a story about, um, you know, the the, the whole rebooting of the entire Captain Britain Corps. And she got roped into this entire um, Arako, um, Krakoa thing. So I'm hoping that after that, she gets to do what she wants to do, sort of slightly apart from being roped into this. And we can see where she wants to go um, with, with the story. Like especially with exploring the other provinces in another in world and things like that.
0: Yeah, I'm really interested to see where the other provinces come up. It's starting to feel as though they are going to be the locations of all of the fights. Very in a very classic kind of street fighter, you'd fight Blanca, you'd go to Brazil, you know. Yeah. Like it, it kinda it kinda does feel like they're all gonna get distributed. And that's Mm. going to be part of it because we're like almost halfway through and none of these descriptions have really come into play yet. So it feels like it's being seeded for later. But then I want to come to one final unreliability of narrator aspect. And that's, again, returning to Saturnine as the sometimes narrator, sometimes referee, sometimes dictator of rules. And to make Freya's point from earlier, she knows who's supposed to have every sword. She's the one who put the riddle in Polaris's brain or whoever's brain got the riddle. But yeah, she's well, act- yeah. She's actively trying to make Brian put down the sword. But she mm-hmm. knows that Brian is the answer to her own riddle. What do you think is going on with that?
2: Who give, Who gives a shit? Like I, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm done. <laughs> Honestly, I sober. do. I really. I, I'm. I'm so over with this because I'm. Te- I told you before. I don't like riddles. I don't care for them. Like you know. And the fact that it was her own doing, and then there was like. A new sword that came out, which is like, uh, and then, uh, yeah, no, who cares? Well, before we, before
0: we use Freya, oh no, oh no. no,
2: Hold on, hold on. And the thing is, we have so many mutants, so many awesome mutants that can take place. And we're putting Brian the human in the team. (laughs) Uh, Every time we
0: talk about it for now and I want to, I (laughs) want to have like a soundboard where I can cue Freya going,
2: Brian the human. Brian the (laughs) human. Uh, but cares? it's not like, don't
1: their care. choice. That's the problem. Oh man! I mean, the problem is that <laughs> it's not like oh, you know, the reader said this, but uh, Krakoa decides that like we need to send this person in, and therefore this person comes in. Well, now
0: let's move on to X Men sure, Thirteen. And if and yep. if Rhea was done with that <laughs> yeah. issue, we've reached the issue where I am done. Yeah. So we open up in the Healing Gardens where Banshee, as we have learned anything from the past 20 years of X-Men, that it's always fine if Banshee's on his deathbed, no one cares, because they are focused on healing Apocalypse, who is just thrashing around and has some things that he wants to do. But also, if we remember correctly from the last time, Xavier and Magneto probably were like, bye, bitch, to him (laughs) on his deathbed. He has like a sucking chest wound (laughs) as well. And so that's where we open on this issue Uh, Because the eggs are taking some time to grow, so if they let him die, he might not make it to the tournament. The tournament on time. Do you think it's the right move to heal him? Like, do you do you have to? Were they going to have to get? Were they going to default if they didn't heal him?
1: But before we get there, I just want to talk about a little bit, just one sentence on on Banshee. Because he's like, he's like looking over at Apocalypse, screaming and groaning. He's like, shut up already. And then he turned over to the other side and stopped looking at it. It reminds me of like a scene in like a hospital drama where there's like two
0: people in a room and the one person is like dying. And the other person's like, like, get me my painkillers. And they've like cut their hand or something. The
1: person who's dying is like... I was like, I was laughing when when I first looked at the first page. I was like, man, that's such a that's such like you know such a sassy move, and it's like such a throwdown by Banshee. Is like, oh, can you just shut up? <laughs> Well and I also
0: I mean I'm you know I'm always charmed by any time that Hickman can make us feel something, but also I I I felt like I just grew I hated Apocalypse more and more and more as this issue went on and it not even like in a villain I hate this villain, but just like shut up But that was we'll get there. So yeah. back to the question, Freya. Do you think it was worth it to heal Apocalypse? Like sure. would they have lost the tournament if they didn't?
2: <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Who cares at this point? <laughs> Sorry, I don't... I Wait, just, I, but he's a
1: mutant. To... He's not a human. Oh,
2: that's right. That's true. He's the first mutant, right? I mean... Of so the, the like... second
1: generation of mutants.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah, apparently. that's true. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I think, like... I feel like that was also like a plot contrivance. It's like, oh my God, we threw out all the eggs. Now we have to do it. I'm like, you didn't have to do it if you did the right root cause analysis as I told you last time, right? Great, so one you of would... the
0: greatest hits of our channel.
2: Right. But like, you're talking and...
1: about Go Balls. Go Balls is like,
2: ah, no, 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 let's burn it, burn it. Right. So the thing is like, you know, he, he ugh. like... <laughs> So we're just, and that because of that, now we have to do all this healing and, you know, wasting so much of the resources and the time. Someone had to hold him down and then, you know. Right, uh, Polaris is holding
0: him down and Hope is, like, personally overseeing this when she should be, like, involved in the egg process. Exactly.
2: not only resources
0: on the island, but page resources. It takes four pages to heal him in a way that gives us nothing for the plot—it's just about everybody standing there watching him be hurt. And if this was a honest- comic from 1976, he would have been healed in half a panel. I don't understand why we needed four pages. And
2: this, but that—that that also reminds me of my, you know, engineering corner of Faria, is because it's like this is what <laughs> it feels like when people messes up in plans and don't do proper root cause analysis. It takes that much longer and that much extra resources that could have been used elsewhere. Jeez well, we
0: will pretend that these four pages of comic book real estate are an ode to the, the problems and costs of a poor root cause analysis. But now let's delve into the center of this issue, which Apocalypse feels just well enough for story time with Blue Daddy. And story time with Blue Daddy in this issue is filling in probably the final piece that we were missing, although it feels like there's a little bit more that he kind of skips at the end. Yeah. Um, That, you know, started with a little hint in Powers of X4, continued in X-Men 2, continued in X-Men 12, and this is the next epic chapter of him having loved and lost in the world of Arako. So Tyler, I think of the three of us, has been paying the closest attention to this. So here I'm going to turn it over to him to take us through a little bit of what we're learning about Arako here.
1: Well, basically, I think um, we assume that, you know, they they lock down the the chasm by, you know, by, by trapping the four apocalypse. I mean, the four horsemen and Genesis there. But it turns out to be not the case. It's like, you know, they actually were winning.
0: Yeah, that to me was the most significant part. It always felt to me like it was one of those last minute, like, Plunge in the sword. No, I don't want to. But it wasn't... I mean, it. it this conversation turned out like that. But it wasn't yeah. in the middle of a climactic battle necessarily. It was no, a strategic
1: choice made yep. not under particular duress. Yeah. And also, I think um, there was one part which was made really clear is that um, the, uh, the sister of Genesis, um, she's like, no, you guys are going to lose... And therefore, I'm switching side right from the beginning.
0: Right. It's like a sports fan who starts cheering for the Dallas Cowboys midway through a season when he realizes that they're going to go to the Super Bowl. It's, you know, like if you want to remain undefeated, sometimes you have to make some tough choices (laughs) as an Eagles fan. Uh, And so that and that's what we see right here, that if she wants to be the undefeated at some point, she kind of defects. But also, it's there's a really interesting theme throughout this issue of like Apocalypse being the not as strong um side of this relationship he's kind of like the stay-at-home dad and i say this as a former stay-at-home dad but he's the stay-at-home dad in this relationship and genesis is the breadwinner like she's she's in charge right here and there's nothing wrong with that at all but i don't think that's a way that we ever thought of i never sympathized (laughs) with apocalypse while i was a stay-at-home full-time dad but now i do now i realize we're really similar to each other (laughs) me and big blue daddy are just practically the same thing
2: uh, and I, to be honest, I kind of like that part about I him. I do because, actually, and because you know the thing is like I never thought Apocalypse to be the softy, paternal, or the softy. You oh. know, in the relationship, yeah. like you know, uh, and then he he was like so reverent about Genesis. Her is she a new character? Yeah, or yes. Is she's a- Oh, she's a new character. Oh, that's great. Um, You know, so the thing is, like, um, like, you know, she was he was very reverent of her. And then, you know, it's like, oh, she was the best among all of us and stuff. I like that. I thought that was very nice. You know, but. um, I don't know. (laughs) Well, it's a classic
0: storytelling thing to take your (laughs) most badass character and have them be like this other character was the best of us. Like it confers automatic status Onto the other character, you know, when Wolverine's like, he's yeah. the only one that could beat me. It's like, oh, it's the only yeah. one who could beat Wolverine. <laughs> so, you know, it's a sleight of hands. You know, Hickman's just yeah. passing one thing to the other. But, <laughs> Freya, you've met, as Hickman's future wife, you have read mm-hmm. all of mm-hmm. Secret Warriors, right? Yes, yes, yes. yes, yes. Is it yes. just me or is this whole, like, putting a mask on that takes over your body? Was that a plot beat in Secret Warriors too? It
2: was. Okay. Yes, it
0: was. Hickman's <laughs> got his kinks, you know? Yes.
2: It was. Yeah. Like, you know, I, and I thought that, thought about that as, as well because, you know, because as, like Peter said, as Hickman's future wife, I memorized all his comics. So I remembered that too. Now, and I then, will you know, say,
0: I think that was an, uh, probably my favorite moment of the whole issue is they have like a box that turns into a book that turns into a <laughs> mask that calls out of the book, which is like, there's only three of you and one of you has to put me on your head. It kind of reminds me in like The Dark Knight when the Joker's like, and now we're having tryouts, right? It's like, who's going to put it on their head and, have their body be consumed in order to, to tell this message like yeah. that's a pretty cool moment i'm i'm almost definitely stealing it for my next Dungeons and dragons campaign <laughs> like it, it's just a really cool moment
2: it's, it's no, a good it is. moment but the thing is like i feel like because of the way art is i was always confused into which side it is coming from like it yeah was... they broke
0: the 180 rule a couple of times there to be able right. to show them from the back and show them from the front
2: yeah so i had to kind of figure that out that okay how is this working because at first i thought it was on the apocalypse side that brought the box in but then it's like no that wasn't the case it was on the other side and then Mm -hmm. you know one of them opened the box and then looked at it like oh my god you know the way we collectors look at damaged books in the box that's what (laughs) the face was and then then it's like yeah put me on and it's like Okay, and I was like, and to be honest though, I'm always kind of scared, like you know, freaked out by face hugger things, like from aliens and stuff like that uh, So mm-hmm. that kind of really freaked me out. I was freaked out, and, and then, a- then the body just kind of disintegrated. Yeah,
0: like got eaten into the. Just so, just to <laughs> define the um the one eighty rule. If people are not film or or comic art buffs. So if you have two people talking to each other right and the camera's <laughs> looking at them but then in the next shot oh, so they're I like really this <laughs> you're like how did i get to the other side so usually in a movie if you want to or especially in this case where we're looking over one shoulder i guess you're the camera you're looking over one shoulder at the other one you need to like have some interstitial moments where you're showing the rotation or else yeah. all of the people who are watching or reading can't tell what happened and that's what happened yeah. to free here because there is a point where we're over the shoulders of the enemy contingent and we're hard on apocalypse's face and then the next panel is looking out from apocalypse's face and we had no interstitial panel kind of showing them from the side so it's not just we're not just nitpicking here like this is this is how you form a storyboarded narrative and it's missing a step and it's fine yeah. you can make that in a comic book you have more opportunity to pick your shots than in a movie where everything's currently in motion but some of the same rules apply and can lead to the
1: same kind of confusion i think is our message True. here yeah and Peter, you, I think in uh Hotspots, you and, you know, the, our um, still in the embryo egg form, Zach, often talk about how Hickman. That egg um, was us.
2: ruined, so we're still waiting for
1: oh. a new egg. Yeah, okay. it's going to take days to
0: start cooking another Zach egg. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah.
1: <laughs> well, anyway, you guys were talking about how Hickman used a scalpel and try and like strategi- strat- strategically like recon certain things, and I find that this particular scene with like you know with uh, Genesis telling um, Apocalypse like Peter, can you can you re can you re <laughs> and act that scene.
0: So, you know, they get the message from the gold mask and Genesis is like, we're going to seal the breach. We're going to hold as long as it takes. Um, you've got to. And Apocalypse is like, take me with you. And she's like, we both know you can't, my love. You're not strong enough. And Apocalypse exactly. is like, you're right. <laughs> and so he gets banished to Earth where it's boring because he's too weak. And, and which, which, you know, talking about Hickman and his retcons, this recasts Apocalypse's entire survival obsession. of the fittest obsession because yeah. he was not fit enough. He yeah. was turned away from the battle for his love and his homeland. And so now he has long-lasting romantic PTSD. And that <laughs> is why... He is on Earth making all the mutants fight each other because he's hoping that the one day when the door opens up, he's going to be seen as fit enough and he's going to be kind of let back into the fray only to find out not only was he not fit enough because his horsemen took him out in creation, but they're like not even on the same side anymore because of the drift of what's happened. So Hickman does a lot of really interesting, you know, very quick rhetorical changes in the way that we think of Apocalypse here to turn him into the rejected member of the family, (laughs) which is like, I don't think anything any of us were anticipating.
1: Here. And, no, and but he actually seeded it in, in uh in one of the caption boxes when uh in X-Men 12, I think, when the summoner was telling the story mm. about how it was being trapped. And you know, the that sentence that he seeded was that finally there are whispers of something worse, judgment and slavery to fate, that you were a prisoner to the whims of others. For and you? that's how he's like doing this. <laughs> fria you're
2: you're gonna say something no no i was gonna say something like and and this is kind of why that you know i'm still his future wife that i haven't divorced him because is this like little things that he does at the end of the day that kind of comes through because all this time i've always asked him like what is apocalypse's obsession with survival of the fittest like where does that come from like why if he was the first mutant you wouldn't think that that would be or maybe maybe, you know, he's the only one. So he has to fit or whatever. But the thing is, now it's kind of contextualizes all of that. And to me, I I kind of liked that aspect of it. Mm -hmm. But did it have to be a romantic thing? I don't know. Like, mm. you know, it just like, it didn't have to be a, like a romance. Like, it was like, okay. Well, that's sure.
0: the one lasting impact of the age of X-Men, which is what came between, yeah. you know, the end of 2018 and the beginning of Hoxpox's Pox's side apocalypse is now romantic character. That's the one <laughs> lasting legacy of aging. He's, he's blue daddy who Fs. So I, I yeah. wait, hold on. I'm, I'm getting a brief transmission here from Zack somewhere in the afterlife waiting for his egg. And he's drawn our attention to something that one of the little blue devils that meets the apocalyptic council says. He says, I'm the last preacher of dead religion, the last apostle of a dead maker. Which kind of is just like, okay, this is the way that Hickman characters talk, whatever. (laughs) But if you were to compare that to when we first see an image of Cardinal, the kind of like future life, six, I forget if it's six or nine, um, a a nightcrawler kind of person, we have, I believe at the time, Mora saying, see the devil, the red god, and the lost cardinal of the lost religion. So there are some parallels here that I don't think that we're totally getting. And this led us kind of to an offline discussion and also a Twitter discussion around the fact that When Mora wakes up Apocalypse early in the life where she sides with Apocalypse, it's mm-hmm. probably early enough that when they retrieve the four horsemen, it's before all of this cataclysmic stuff happens with Emeth and all of the problems. Clearly, after Apocalypse had been ejected, but before they lost the balance of power in this multi-year war, possibly before mm-hmm. Solemn even killed War's partner. So, um, the the version of events, the version of religion, the version of the horsemen that we get in that future where M- Mora did decide to side with Apocalypse has a very strong connection to all of this Arako stuff we're finding out because Arako was still willing to ally itself with Apocalypse in a way that they're not right now. So I think we have to look at all, we probably need to all go back and reread all of the powers of X stuff that had Cardinal and had Rasputin and had all this stuff because it's way more connected to Arako than any of us originally surmised.
1: Yeah. Life I mean, hurts. that's like life nigh when she became <laughs> the new Iraq, uh, you know, Akaba or the mother Hmm. which is the new Genesis because she has that blue skin too. And, you know, it's the wife of Apocalypse. Um, the timing though is uh, not before Solom uh, did his thing. We don't because- know that... For sure, I
0: did. I think yeah, we did uh, no, the math I'm on coming, Twitter.
1: You're coming. I'm th- coming right. to that. Okay. Yeah, I'm coming to that. Like, um, if my if my calculation is correct, I'm not saying that it's hundred percent correct. Um, that happens about twenty five years before Acts of Swords. Okay, that's why I started. Yeah, yeah, and then Solemn is like hundred years before this this thing, right? So, so the betrayal would have happened, but um, yeah, but the 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 thing that that sort of like um, well. I wouldn't say kept me up awake because I don't sleep a lot. Mm,
2: (laughs) But but the thing is this:
1: is this right? We have the white sword and the hundred champions, right? And the hundred champions were sent out like daily, and if they die, they get resurrected. So do they get res? Yep. Yeah. So my question is: Do they get resurrected like Jamie resurrect Brian, where he's intact, or? Do they get resurrected like the whole resurrection protocol, like Rock's Light, where the resurrection is a amalgam of like different Mm. uh universe version of the hundred champions? And if they do it enough time, would there be a shift within that 25 years? So because I think in one of the in X-Men 12, it says that Genesis said that the death and resurrection cycle that um, the white sword lift has become his religion. And it seems like he's he's doing it constantly. So maybe that 25 years, within the 25 years, something happens in the resurrection where, you know, the whole thing just shifted or they, they become an amalgam of like different uh, alternate universe versions of the hundred champions that no longer fights for, you know, I,
0: I want to follow that up, actually, because it, it, that made me think of something in the moment. I couldn't quite get my hand on it. And now that you've described it that way, I think I finally got there. I'm going to make a cooking analogy. So when you're making um, ice cream, right, that has eggs in it, which many ice cream has egg yolks, you mm-hmm. heat up the cream mixture first. But if you were to just combine it with the eggs, the eggs would scramble. See, yep. this is going to connect to resurrections. Uh, so the, what you do have to do is you have to put a little bit of the hot liquid into the eggs at a time, and that's called tempering called eggs. Right. You can also temper chocolate, which is yep. um, basically you're trying to build it up to the point so that, so that when you raise its heat, it doesn't do the natural thing that that thing does and melt. And this idea of continuous dying and resurrection and bringing in, other versions of you potentially whether that applies to the hundred champions or not it certainly does the X-Men kind of reminds me of the tempering process where at first you, turn, you start out with some eggs which have a which have a little bit of hot milk in them but eventually they're just all in the same place and they've been totally combined and it's like yeah Rock Slide is a little bit different now but what would happen if you killed Rock Slide a hundred times at a point does he kind of come back around to being a single multiversal con- consciousness because you've re-tempered him so many times that you've actually just combined the eggs and the Cream in this example. And so it definitely made me think about how that relates not just to the 100 Champions, but to the Captain Britain Corps. Because if we go back to the Excalibur issue, we get a lot of talk about how, like, they, they died, but then they were brought back, but the version of them that was brought back was artificial and, like, does it count and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But the idea of, like, they're all from different worlds, but what if at some point they get reconstituted so much, so many times that actually, Betsy herself represents the entire Captain Britain Corps because she holds all of them in her mind because she's a psychic, almost in like a Legion kind of way. So I I just think that there's this is when we get excited about Hickman, right? This is what we liked about Hoxpox. Every week there was something crazy like this where we could be like, what if this? What if that? How does it connect? And I think that part of how character-driven these chapters have been to this point kind of makes the Hickman stuff stick out like a sore thumb because it's like one issue of Hickman crazy ranting and then like six (laughs) issues that are actually funny. But I think this is all stuff that we've got to hold in our brains as we go into stasis next week because I think we're about to see like thematically what we're supposed to pay pay, pay attention to. And it feels an awful like a lot like Mura and the theme of resurrections, the way that the resurrections work, who's going to die, the history of Rocco, like all of these things are starting to feel like they're Mm -hmm. coalescing right now.
2: And Free, that was a lot all... of
0: boy talk. You take take over.
2: No, no, no. It's not. I mean, it's it's a lot of nerd talk. Not boy talk. Nerd talk. <laughs> well, I'm just um, talking about
0: the top row. I'm not talking right. about the gendering of
2: nerd talk. But the thing is, like, um, what I was saying that it's all valid. It's all perfect. But the thing is, these are the things that you see in Marvel Cosmic. These are not the things you see in X-Men. Because I'm actually currently reading Infinity Wars by Jerry Dogan that kind of happened and I was as I was reading through it I was thinking that the like the generation regeneration protocol is actually the the stones like different stones doing different thing and it's actually that ideas that each of the different that one of the fives does to bring someone back and everything All of these extra character moments and things like that, these are something you do in Marvel Cosmic. If you read the whole Dan Abnett uh, series from Annihilation to all the way to War of Kings, that's how the stories usually go. And it works there because the characters are not known and you are doing all of these things. Why are we doing this in X-Men? That's- That's kind of where I am too. Like this, all this Apocalypse stuff is
0: nice and all but it's like we've got 200 named X-Men characters minimum because we know that the 198 left us with 198 people with powers and some people lost their powers. So there's probably 200 characters who we could be reading about, but we're reading about like these four horsemen and Genesis, whatever. And to a point, I'm just like, let me read about the X-Men, please. Any X-Men. I'm not specific. It can be Annal. It can be Banshee. It can be Black Tom. It it can be Surge. It can be even Beak. Beak. I would even say Beak. Sink. Uh, skin, I'm just trying to like ping pong around the years, you know, like just anything, Unus the Untouchable, I was so excited just any X-Men character really any X-Men
1: character would excite me more than this Uh, but the thing is that this has to do more with like the modern comics where oh okay, maybe not the modern comics but the desire to keep the cast of um, each book intact during this crossover, if we have separated all the stories out and run them in parallel you know, you have one portion of Solemn and Wolverine. You have one portion of Stormy Wakanda. Then you switch to the Howlands going into uh, doing the shenanigans. And then you go back to magic and dark training. And then you go into this apocalypse uh, storytelling thing. Like, if you split them up and layer them in a, in the issues, I think it would read so much better I than... Then having a week of, like, all highs where it's drama, where there's comedy, and then a weeks of, like, really dry stuff where Hickman gets to, you know, spin his tails and, 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 and talk about his bigger story that he wanted to tell.
2: And the thing is, like, I understand that I really love... Uh, like, you know, one of the things that he does is that it's all biggest, bigger challenge. Scope gets bigger, everything is bigger, everything is, like, so much grander. And X-Men should be dealing with this kind of thing. But we are seeing all of it from Apocalypse's point of view, who is not necessarily the most interesting (laughs) character. Like, you know, it just... And not even the interesting villain. So if you kind of, like... I get, understand that this whole big thing needs to happen and the whole grander thing needs to happen. Um, but I just, I'm just quite not getting it. And maybe you know maybe this is just my not my trade waiter personality coming in that you know i would rather if i read it all at once maybe i would feel completely different but week to week as you mentioned that it's just highs and lows and then so much happening to like so much data dump happening like it just i don't know and and i'm also not the kind of reader who is like you know so like worried about certain things and so to me it's just like i'm like okay sure sure like you know Genesis was a thing. Okay. Like, where do we go from here? There's Exodus, well, there's Genesis, there's like, oh. Uh,
0: well, in anyway. terms of where do we go from here, at the end of Excalibur, we left with three spots left in the circle of swords, circle mm-hmm. of 10 swords. We see
2: Apocalypse. Two. We see do.
0: Apocalypse here um, regain his sword, or at least the two pieces of his sword. We did get a four. database on four, pieces. four. Um, yeah. we did get a, a data page about Grasscutter, which seems to be meant to be Gorgon's sword, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. The two
1: swords are Gorgon's sword. So Grasscutter and God Killer.
0: And then so also... So they're, they're
1: both groups. yeah.
0: Sorry. The, um, no, no, I, no, go ahead. Just that I think the final sword is going to be the
1: Cerebro sword, right? Like, that. that's the... Isn't it? Okay. That's what we we assume it to be based on the Terra card. Because the Tarot Cards has ten champions and eleven swords, because Gorgon was holding two of them. Right, right. Go but the riddle, the riddle that um, that uh, Polaris got has only nine riddles. So I don't know if there was a change in the story, such that Magneto with the cerebral sword is not a part of the thing. Um, because in the Tarot Cards, I sort of identified, like, I mean, the 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 one unidentified person in the shadows. Has to be magneto with the with his helmet and the pointed thing. Mm. So that's where I'm sort of puzzled. Like, did they change the story, or is that supposed to be a surprise?
2: The. I do. I, I do want to say though that that's some heavy-ass sword. Like the grams, if you if you convert it into yeah. kilograms, that's very heavy. That's like I know. I have been pounds.
0: kind of like yeah. thinking about that and like picking up stuff around my house. Like oh, no, no, that's no, no, you don't have the sword. You don't like, you don't have anything heavy,
1: that but like that heavy. Long and... No,
2: the, you don't have anything that heavy in your six hundred eighty kg. No, it's even bigger than that. Like, it's, it's, it's some ridiculous number. It's in grams, so you were fooled by it. But, you know, I do conversion every all day long, so I can tell you it's really heavy. Um, but the thing is, the one thing I, I will say, though, and this is where my, like, you know, I, because I love competence porn, and this was, like, a, one of the best competence porn I've ever seen, uh, the very last page is, like, oh, it looks like a sharp blade. It's, like, it is. Now watch me as I weld it. I thought that was, you know. But the thing is, like, when you think about this is the same Apocalypse that was crying about his last love, then you're like, oh.
1: Yeah, like, you know, oh. he's the first of the second generation of mutants. Like, all the first generation of mutants are trapped Trapped on the other side. So they are all better than him, apparently, because they are, you know, they're trapped on the other side. They, they get to go through the chasm. He, no, you stay back.
0: Well, look, we're at the middle now. Next week is going to be Stasis, written by Howard and Hickman. And we are going mm-hmm. to get probably the turning point of the story. I would imagine we're going to see the remaining champions identified. I would imagine we're going to get a little bit more guidance on the rules of the tournament. And then things are going to, I think, start rapidly escalating in the weeks that follow. So that is us for the day. Do folks have final comments for our ending lightning round to marry up to our beginning lightning round? Faria? I...
2: I just wanted to say that's about like you know, the sword is about fifteen hundred pounds.
0: <laughs> Which sword is
2: fifteen hundred pounds? The apocalypse. one apocalypse. Oh. It's fifteen hundred pounds. 1500 so if you look pounds. at because he he done it in grams, so you were like, yeah. Oh, okay. But the thing is like when you converted it over to pounds, it's 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 Oh a yeah, because that's
0: six hundred and eighty. Kilograms. 1,000 grams. Yeah. 1,000 grams. Yeah, which is grams.
1: 680 ki- kilograms.
0: I live kilo in a grams. metric country now. I know what these numbers mean. Yo, you
2: know what this oh. is. So the thing is like, it's like... I like, couldn't tell like you how a... much I
0: weigh in kilograms, but that's for my own psychological in, it's,
2: it's It's like, yeah, it's like a baby elephant.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like... Now I'm just going to have that image in my head every time it comes <laughs> yeah. up with the sword. Why does it actually. weigh that much? <laughs> I don't I know.
1: know. That's why know. it's like it's like the weight is like really big, like you know, it's like, um, it's probably about sixty, sixty-five, um, sixty-five me.
2: <laughs> sixty-five me. So Tyler, sick. do you
0: have do you have any anything Imagine to 65. close this out on other than sword obesity? Like, what <laughs> you know, sword BMI? Is there any other topic we should be thinking about?
1: Um, I think um. There's one other thing which is kind of minor, because they said that the Scarab is made from the vanquished Uhari royal vanguard, and the Uhari are related to Atlanteans, and that appears in Hickman's Fantastic Four in the beginning, Uh, I think in in his run so oh, yeah. so that's where i think like hickman i think Hickman likes to do a lot of these like small little tidbits here and there and um sort of like tie in his entire runs and i, I find it like <laughs> i mean i like this type of things
0: that's true. well that's it for us folks we have survived the first of several consecutive jonathan hickman issue weeks and lived to tell they the tale hopefully you all. lived <laughs> through the episode and we don't have to send you to the Resurrection Protocols too because Zach is definitely in front of you in line at the moment. This has been another episode of This Week in X where we dissect everything there is to dissect about X of the Swords. Thank you so much for watching. If you want to continue to see these episodes and the occasional bonus episodes we sneak in in between, you're probably going to want to subscribe to the channel. And I want to thank Tyler and Freya so much for joining me as they do every week and being a little uh, mutant light Across the world for me. Thank you both so much for joining us here for Crushing Comics.
1: Thank you for having for having us.